Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. In the book of Luke chapter 11, uh, we're continuing our series on the Lord's Prayer. And um, if you'll join me there, we're going to read the first four verses again. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. In verse number four, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And uh, so this evening, let's pray and ask the Lord to just minister through us, through, to us tonight through his word. In Jesus' name, I love you today. And I'm asking you, Lord, now to let the power of your word be the instrument, Lord, that this evening that penetrates the shell of our heart, that touches our conscience, that speaks to our spirit. I pray, Lord, in the Holy Ghost that your anointing would just move and minister in a very special way. Let your spirit, your presence touch us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. The, the Lord taught this pattern of prayer on two different occasions. Matthew records the Lord's prayer as it is given in the Sermon on the Mount. And then, of course, in the reading that we've been staying consistent with up till this evening, Luke records the Lord's prayer when Jesus was asked by his disciples to teach us to pray. If you were to compare these passages side by side, you'll notice the same thoughts being mentioned by both Matthew and Luke, even in the Lord's prayer, though sometimes they're not identical. The order, of course, is the same, and if you were to read them side by side, you will note very minimal differences. And, uh, but this evening, the reason I mention that is I'm going to be reading not only from Luke, but I'm also going to be referring to Matthew as well. And so as we continue through the pattern of the Lord's Prayer, I want us to consider the topic of forgiveness and I want us to talk about it in two different lights or to view it in two different lights. I think one uh, lens that we must never forget to look through is God's forgiveness and how that we've all received the power of God's forgiveness in our life. And then the other lens, of course, we have to look through is our own personal forgiveness and how that we've not only needed to extend forgiveness, but we've needed to receive forgiveness. Amen. I read an, uh, an illustration many years ago, and I've, if I've used this before, just please forgive me, but it comes to mind about the church planning a, a picnic, and uh, they were going to have a great day of celebration, and somehow, as all the invitations were sent out, uh, one 
prominent person in the church was not invited somehow. It was just the, the, the memo didn't get passed down the line or whatever. And so upon you know, the night before the big picnic, the big party, somehow they caught that. And, and so the pastor called and said, I'm sorry, I want you to know that we, uh, this has happened. We didn't mean for this to happen, but I want you to know that you're invited. I want you to come. She said, it's too late. I've already prayed for rain. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. Matthew 6 and 12. That sounds funny, but you'd be surprised. Matthew 6 and 12. Matthew's record of this says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, the word debts is used while Luke uses the word sin. Matthew, um, Matthew 6 and 16 uses the word trespass or trespasses. And these are all similar words and they're all interconnected. And so just like we have a daily need for food and water, we also have a daily need for forgiveness. And so we should not be taken when we hear someone filled with the Holy Ghost say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Our mind shouldn't wander down dark alleys to try to figure out what's going on because we have all sinned and we all come short in some way. And so when we hear the word trespass, that's a, certainly in, in our areas, the communities that we live in, the word trespass is a common word and, and uh, we see signs up that say trespassers will be uh, prosecuted. And, and uh, so we understand that. That simply means don't go there. Or let's not go there. That's the word trespass means that this is the end of the journey for us. And so when we come to the no trespassing sign, that is the end of the trail. We have to turn around and do something different. And so certainly I believe that people that have the Holy Ghost should have a desire, an inept desire to live lawfully, both, both in the law of the land and certainly the law of the word of God. The Greek word for trespass or trespasses simply means to slip or to fall. And so it's very easy to slip or fall from time to time. There are times that we fall into sin and in doing so we violate the word of God. I'm not suggesting that that's right nor that we have a license for, for that. Uh, Paul said, should we sin just because grace abounds? He said, God forbid. God forbid that we sin just because we can pray and ask for forgiveness of sin. So... There has to be something in our life that wants to stand. And I'm pretty confident that most everybody here at some point in your life has fallen. And we would refer to those as accidents. You don't just walk around falling. You don't just fall every day. That's certainly not the motivation. And when we trip, and certainly if we trip and fall over something and we look down and see that it was something in the path, we do something about that. We don't say, you know, I need to make a note. And uh, one of these days, but generally we repair that or fix that, whatever it may be right there. And so the word, uh, there are times we fall, certainly. The word debt sometimes refers to monetary debt, but, it, but more often scripturally refers to moral debt. And we, we obey, uh, we owe God obedience. At the very minimum, we owe him obedience. We can't, uh, we can't deliver, we can't 
we can't do a lot of things for ourselves, and so we have to have the Spirit of God flowing into our lives, and I believe through our lives, in order for there to be completeness and wholeness. On the cross, Jesus Christ certainly paid a debt that he did not owe, as the songwriter said, because I had a debt I could not pay. All sinners in need of forgiveness. The Bible says in Romans 3 and 10 that there is none righteous, no, not one. No, not one. The cross represents the cross, the cost of our forgiveness. We were singing that uh, just a moment ago. We'll never know how much it cost to see my sins upon the cross. We'll never have a way of calculating what, uh, what sins debt, my sins debt, your sins debt, individually, not collectively, not as a whole, but what individually our sins cost really was. And so the most essential and difficult thing that God ever did was to provide for us forgiveness for our sins because forgiveness is the greatest human need, the greatest human need. On the cross, our debt was stamped paid in full. The charges against us were dismissed and that is a wonderful, wonderful feeling. Many times throughout my life and our marriage, Sister Boyd and I have had the privilege of paying something off and uh, we're not alone here tonight in that but to receive a car title or a home mortgage or a land deed stamp paid in full, there's just nothing like it. That beats the smell of new leather. <laughs> oh, yes, it does. It's a wonderful feeling. I realize that everybody responds to debt differently, but I'm the type of person that's not real comfortable with debt. Now, I've always, almost always had some debt, to be sure, so we're not independently wealthy and We've always, like many of you, not most of you, if not most of you, had to finance big ticket items, right? And so, um, but with those purchases, there comes a real sense of responsibility, a real weight. And I have to be real careful not to let that weight spoil that ticket or that item. I have to work very diligently about that. I'm glad I heard a few spatters of amens. You have to kind of fight against that. I'm thankful that we have something different, maybe needed to replace something, but with that comes some sobering responsibility. And so uh, that weight, that, that gnawing, almost 32 years ago now, due to an automobile accident, I've referred to several times through the years, but my wife and I most literally uh, almost lost everything we owned. I was out of work for several months and, and it seemed like to, to us that we were the only ones that were real concerned about that. The people that we owed didn't lose our address and they didn't extend a lot of sympathy. Uh, my wife was working two jobs. She was most literally working day and night and that was not sufficient to meet all the requirements and the needs. And I'm not at all trying to bemoan uh, something here. I'm just wanting you to understand that I know what it's like to feel that weight and, and uh, to have creditors calling and, and there's no way you can do anything about it. You're just the weight and, and with every phone call and with every letter and with every threat, am I talking to anybody? You just kind of get lower and lower and lower and you're just more and more embarrassed about the things that have, uh, that have taken place in your life and in, certainly in that particular instance, we had no vote in that. I was riding down the road going to work, minding my own business. And then all of a sudden, your whole life is just yanked upside down and turned wrong side out, and you're just there left to pick up whatever pieces remain. 
Now, before I go on, I do want to say something because if I don't, I made myself a note because my wife would say, you didn't fix this one part. So I'm going to fix this one part. I eventually did get back to work, did get a revenue stream. She's saying, right, right. I knew that she was thinking this. We got a revenue stream going back and we paid everybody that we owed and all things were clear. (laughs) But the weight of that debt was overwhelming. And so I'm not bragging or complaining. I'm just telling you about life. It just comes at you fast, comes at you hard, comes at you unannounced sometimes. But that may still have something to do with the celebration that I feel in my heart when I when I see something stamped paid in full, I just get warm and fuzzy. Amen, amen. The, the most favorite thing about a car is the last payment. <laughs> the last payment, that's about the only one, that you send the first one in smiling and then you don't smile for a long time and then you, you finally send the last one in smiling. <laughs> when we are forgiven, the debt was marked Paid in full. Paid in full. We might like to believe that God is, a, is obliged or obligated to forgive everyone, but the scriptures teaches us that, that he forgives those that confess their sins and ask to be forgiven. If we will confess our sins, the scripture says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But there is a lead responsibility that comes right my way. I gotta talk about this. I can't just whistle my way through the cemetery and, and just hope it all comes out in the wash. We've got to talk about it. And so I, with these lips and with this very voice you hear now, have to say, Lord, I need you to forgive me. I, I, I didn't have enough faith or I didn't exercise good judgment or I had a thought that should have never, ever crossed my mind. Amen. And so we have to understand that I put that on the table before him. And now, now because of my confession, the obligation changes from me to God. Because whenever I come before him with a broken and a contrite spirit, the scripture says that he can in no wise turn that away. That's just something that gets to the heart of God when we come before him with brokenness and with sincerity. Amen. The problem is is that many, many times people do not think of themselves as sinners. They do not think of themselves as sinful. I want to just kind of pause right here and put something in some brackets that, you know, we talk about the one unpardonable sin, the sin of blasphemy, and I think that for the most part we pretty well understand the concept of that. But I think that if we're not careful, we can become so comfortable with that one thing that we fail to realize that there's some things that ought to sober us about the Word of God. The Scriptures talks about uh, being given over and being given up to certain things. And, and Thessalonians, Paul talks about that we would believe a lie and be damned, that we would be deceived and the spirit of deception then could become uh, something that we have to reckon with in our own lives. And so if someone is deceived, follow me now, then they do not see the error of their way. And if we do not confess our sins, We can't have forgiveness of our sins. So there's more than one way to be lost. I'm not trying to paint the world gray, 
But I think that we need to be very, very sober and realize that this thing called my conscience and this thing, uh, that spiritual voice that speaks in my heart, I can't play with that. I can't toy with that because the scripture also talks about our conscience being seared with a hot iron. And so I wanna make sure that when, when the spirit of God smites my heart with conviction, I need to do something about that. I don't need to ignore that. I don't need to try to override that. When I sense that no trespassing sign in my path, I don't need to pretend I didn't see that and keep walking, but I need something in my heart that says you need to turn and walk the other way, amen. And so this, if we're not careful, we, if we don't think of ourselves as sinful, then of course we would never ask God to forgive us of our sins. And uh, in life, we see two extremes. We see people that are either overwhelmed by unresolved guilt or people that are with callous consciences that, that just, that, that never experience guilt. Nothing bothers them. Nothing seems to prick their conscience. Nothing seems to keep them awake at night. Fallen human nature often minimizes the need for forgiveness. It's not that big a deal, but I've come to stand behind this desk tonight to tell us that it is, is a big deal. It has always been a big deal, and it will always remain a big deal. It was shame that uh, the shame of sin, the, 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 uh, the shame of letting God down that first ever caused Adam and Eve to hide themselves in the cool of the day. And God help us if sin doesn't somehow bring with it a sense of remorse and shame. And I, I don't need to cover this up, but I need, I need God of, of my own strength and volition, but I need God's power and his blood to help me cover this. The book of Psalms describes the typical unbeliever. Psalms, one thir Psalms 36 and one, excuse me. The Bible says, the transgression of the wicked saith within my heart, there is no fear of God before his eyes. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God within his eyes. If we have ever lived in an hour where there is no fear of God, ladies and gentlemen, we are downtown. Downtown. No fear of God whatsoever. And so when people have no fear of God, believe me, they're not afraid of me. They're not afraid of you. They're, they're not afraid of anything you could toss their way if they don't fear God. That's a very serious spiritual crisis in a person's life because when a person does not accept the fact that sin offends the holiness of God, let me say that one more time. When people don't embrace the idea that sin offends the holiness and the righteousness of God, there can be no just outcome. And so this is not about sinning and afraid that you're gonna disappoint somebody in the church or somebody you're gonna offend the leadership of the church. What we ought to worry about is offending the very righteousness of God. Amen, it's not about whether Brother Rayleigh saw me. It's not about whether my son sees me. It's about that God is a. Offended. I am offending God by the nature of my behavior. And so I, I, I must keep that always in the, in the forefront of my mind. Undeniably, there, there is a strong and I would say successful movement to diminish moral absolutes in this generation. 
If there is no right and wrong, if we remove the boundaries, if we, if we take down the line, some of you that are on Facebook maybe have, have seen this little cartoon or caption going around in the last several days at least uh, that from what I can see, a little cartoon of someone jumping over a fence and, uh, and, and, and obviously there's a cliff and this little cartoon character's going over the cliff and somebody, some boy, some other character is standing there and they're saying that's, that's, that's not a, a fence, that's a boundary. This is not decoration, there's a reason here. This is not just there to, to, to appease the, the mind of men. There's, there's danger on the other side of this. And so when the Lord said to Moses, he said, Moses, you, what a great responsibility. And I will say that I live with this responsibility deep within the, my heart. I can say that personally, not boastfully, but I say that humbly, that, that the Lord said to Moses, Moses, you set the border around about the mountain because the day they touch the mountain, they're gonna surely die. And so he said, you set the border around that. I, I don't think that God just gives men the, 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 the wherewithal to just do whatever we want. That is not what I'm saying, but God has placed upon the heart and the minds and the conscience of, of God-fearing leadership to say this is the boundary. This is where we're the safest. This is where we're the safest. And so we're gonna put the fence here. It's not a fence, <laughs> This is not decoration. This is life and death. This is safety. And so uh, we need to realize that when you take down the fence and anything is permissible, if anything is permissible, then there is no need to be forgiven of anything. And our culture is one that literally, as the scripture declares, calls evil good and good evil. It's been said many, many times, but it's literally the truth. I think there was a reference even to it this weekend that you could, you could probably get in more trouble trying to pray in public venues today, whether that's school or in, in a political arenas, than you could uh, if you were trying to do something immoral because we're living in an hour where people call good evil and evil good. And uh, you, you live right. You try to dress modestly and, and, and you try to live a moral life and people look at you like you're some, some kind of weirdo, something strange. What's, what's up with you whenever the church ought to be saying, what's, what do you mean? What do you mean? If we take heaven out of the equation, take hell out of the equation, I, I don't see anything that I want to destroy my life over. Amen. And so we, it, it, we all need to receive forgiveness at some point in our life. I think uh, beyond just what we need daily. Therefore, we also have to understand the value of giving forgiveness to others because this pendulum certainly swings both ways. We need to season our spirit and our minds and our hearts, and I want you to hear me, with purity because the pendulum certainly swings both ways. Today, you may be the one with your black robe of judgment on, doling out forgiveness. But tomorrow, you may be on the other side of that bench needing forgiveness, needing forgiveness. And so when we come to God, we offer no excuses. We just need to say, Lord, I need mercy. I need your grace. Sin has an eternal consequence. Habakkuk, the, the prophet, says God's eyes are too pure to look upon evil and he cannot tolerate wrong. And so that means that therefore all sin must be dealt with. And it was on the cross. Forgiveness is the removal of our sin and, and 
the guilt of sin. Hebrew, I mentioned Genesis a moment ago and, and I mentioned that Genesis account of Adam and Eve hiding themselves in shame for the sin that they have committed. But we need not just camp out in the book of Genesis. We need to keep traveling until we get to Hebrews 12 and 2 because it's there the Bible says that, that with Calvary's cross in focus that he with joy for what was set before him Amen, a part of that scripture says despising the shame. Or in other words, he forever dealt with the shame. And so I'm glad that he didn't just say you're forgiven and then now you just kind of reconcile all of that in your life the best way you can. But aren't you glad that the weight of that guilt and the weight of that shame was, was all lifted off? What a wonderful, wonderful thing. Isaiah, in Isaiah, God declares, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. We can't even comprehend that. Let's just be honest. We can't even fathom the fact that God can remember our sins no more. And I know you've heard this dozens of times, but one more time. If God truly cannot remember our sins once he has forgiven us, that means that when we bring it up again, he doesn't know what we're talking about. That is hard to reconcile in our minds because Satan still sits on our shoulder and we still let him sit on our shoulder and whisper in our ear again and again and again. But if that could ever come home to us, that he remembers our sins no more. That doesn't mean people around you have forgotten it. Jacob had his name changed from Jacob to Israel. He never referred to himself as Jacob ever again. He always referred to himself as Israel. I commend him for that. In all of his ways, I commend him for that. I don't know what went on in the night, in the tent. I don't know when all, what all went through his mind when he was alone, but we do know that publicly he never declared from what we can read himself as Jacob ever again, but others still called him Jacob. <laughs> oh yeah, but it didn't change his course. He didn't pull out his eraser and say, because they won't forget, I won't forget. He just kept on referring to himself as that man that had been forever changed in a midnight prayer meeting, hallelujah, amen. And so he cannot remember that anymore. That is liberating. That ought to set something loose in our spirit that we move forward. And so that's a brief, brief look, I promise you, at God's forgiveness. But let's talk about our forgiveness. I mentioned I wanted to read from both of these, uh, from both of these recordings. So Luke says, as I read a moment ago, forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil and then Matthew records it this way and this is the one that more often is quoted from he said forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and I would like for you to leave that on the screen for just a little while we have an obligation to extend forgiveness to others one more time we have an obligation to extend forgiveness to others. We've received forgiveness. And so now we have an obligation to extend forgiveness back to others. And uh, we have to understand the power of this particular portion of the Lord's Prayer. We have our hand on the valve, as I've often referred to it, of forgiveness as we pray, when it, when, certainly when it comes to forgiveness. We have our hand on the valve of forgiveness as it flows in and out of our lives because the scripture says, forgive me as I forgive others. 
Forgive me in the same spirit that I forgive others. Forgive me as liberally as I forgive others. Measure out to me forgiveness with the same cup that I measure forgiveness out to others. And so when you think about that, (laughs) when you think about it in that light, it makes you stop wanting to eat that out one dollar at a time. And it makes you want to open your arms a little wider and say, you know what? I don't want to cut forgiveness off to myself by my own actions and by my own attitude, but I want to make sure that I, uh, that I forgive. People who are unforgiving can't understand or accept the forgiveness that God offers. They have a hard time reconciling that in their mind. You know, it, it, it's, it's like I read a quote today, uh, something similar to this, that says one of the greatest curses for a liar is not the fact that nobody believes them. But one of the greatest curses for a liar is the fact that they can believe nobody. Because they assume everybody's doing what they're doing. They assume everybody is, has the same moral standard that they have. And so the curse, the big curse, is not that nobody believes them. It's the fact that, that, that they are themselves so caught up in what it is is that they cannot trust or believe anyone because they're measuring out of the same cup and it's, or they assume everybody is measuring out of the same cup and so anyone that's not willing to forgive uh, another one has not experienced true forgiveness from God because when we for- refuse to forgive others then we are just asking God to withhold forgiveness from us is that alright? Amen. There are many people who refuse to forgive. They harbor resentment, hold grudges. Victims uh, become bitter, wishing only to get even, just for an opportunity. Uh, Maybe just one day in the sweet by and by, I can live long enough to see their demise or to see their end or to see somehow their world come crumbling down. But let me please just stop you long enough to say this. I'm I'm not an old man, I guess, by some standards, but I'm not a child either. But I've lived long enough to see people world crumble around them and let me hear you let me tell you tonight that that's not as pleasing as you may think it's going to be and because you see nobody falls alone no nobody just falls alone but but Solomon said that when the large tree falls the tragedy here is not that the large tree fell but the little small innocent trees around it they too were crushed and so generally generally speaking that when somebody's life goes spiraling out of control they don't spin out of orbit on their own but there is a vacuum that kick that catches and pulls innocent people into that as well and I say oh God Help us, help us, help us to make sure our mind is right, our heart is right, our, 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 our spirit, our motives are right. A crime victim was once quoted as saying, if you could lick my heart, it would poison you. Think about that. It's not that if you could lick my heart, it would poison you. If you can think about it, your heart is poisoning your own, your own life, if you could really understand that. People often claim, well, I forgive but I just won't forget. <laughs> I remember an incident that happened many, many years ago and something was said that uh, someone you know, said, thought that, that we had said something about them or whatever. It didn't even happen. I don't even know where, you know how these stories just kind of just hit the front line newspaper and you don't know, you're not even sure where they come from. And so we were trying to make that all right and some, they kept saying, well, it's all right, I'll get over it. What we kept saying was, there's nothing to get over. (laughs) It's okay, it's okay. We'll get over it. It didn't happen. 
<laughs> and so we have to be careful that we don't allow something to get lodged in our heart because many times the enemy knows just exactly what will stick. Something that would just hit me and glance off may not be the same thing with you and vice versa. And so he knows just exactly what it takes just to get right where we live. Amen, glory to God, hallelujah. <laughs> There's a measure of truth of that statement, I understand, because it's impossible to forget something in the terms, or at least by the definitions of how we think about forgetfulness. Some have scars that serve as constant reminders that they've been wounded, and I'm not wanting to soft soak that or minimize that in any way. And so what we really need to understand when we're talking about forgiving and forgetting is that, that amnesia is not the goal. <laughs> we're never going to forget some things that happened to us. That doesn't mean we're harboring resentment. It doesn't mean that we're unforgiving. It doesn't mean that we're holding a grudge. Amnesia is not the goal. We're never gonna reach a place in our lives that something's gonna happen. We walk through a radar. I mean, there's been a lot of things in my life I wish I could unsee, wish I could unhear which you could just reel back the tape just three minutes, <laughs> just three minutes. But it's just not possible. And so we have to pray that God would help us. We're always gonna have this embedded in our conscience. It's always gonna be there. And of course, as life moves on, other things kind of take its place. Good, bad, and ugly things take its place, but it gets shuffled down in the deck and then all of a sudden something happens and it just triggers that and what happens? It's all back just like it was, just so fresh and just so real. And there it is again and we think, oh, if I could just get this out of my mind. And to some degree, it's never ever going away. Amnesia is not the goal. The goal is to let me get spiritually larger than this situation. Let me grow up and grow beyond this. I never will get over it, but I have certainly got to get past it. I gotta get beyond it. I can't just camp out here. I've got to move further on down the line. Amen. Amen. We have to move down the line. That's, that was in my past. That was there in the Jacob years. Yes, 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 forever recorded, but there's been an Israel experience in our lives. Matthew 5 and 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Give it all you can. Give as much mercy as you can because he said that's how we obtain merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Another translation says it this way, happy are those who are merciful to others for God will be merciful to them. We're not able to forgive uh, because we're just such nice people and we're not able to forgive because we always feel like forgiving, but we're able to for forgive because we've been set free. And we know the value, the value of being forgiven. I'm a long way removed. I'm further away removed some days that I'm comfortable. But I'm a long way removed from the 17-year-old young man that, that 
forgot something one night in an, in an altar of prayer in a revival service. I, I'm a long way from that moment, but I don't ever want to get so far away from that moment that I forget what it was like. And if I promise you I could close my eyes tonight and relive that moment, there's a lot of things I've forgotten. There's a lot of things that I need to tie the old proverbial string around my finger to remember. But there's one thing I've never forgotten. And there's one thing that is just as real to me tonight as it was on that August night. Amen. And that was when the Spirit of God began to lift. I've shared it before, but I don't mind telling you, if you don't mind listening one more time, how my life was dark and filled, and I was filled with uncertainty, but at my feet, as my hands were, were raised in the air, flat of my back, I saw something just begin at my feet and wash over me. And when it came over my head, I began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of the Lord gave the utterance. Hear me tonight. I had been set free. I had been set free. The guilt of trying and stumbling. The guilt of starting and stopping. The guilt of trying on Saturday night and praying good and doing well and falling again Monday or Tuesday. The shame of all of that. The shame of all of that had been forever washed away. Amen. My critics didn't die. Amen. Those that were there and saw all the mistakes, they didn't go away. They didn't move to another state, to another continent. But God had forgotten given me and I had a, I had a responsibility to, to walk right and to stay upright and to keep doing my dead level best I have been forgiven much and I don't ever want to forget that moment forgiveness breaks the power of the past it breaks the power of the past when we, re, when we release our hold on others we not only free them but we free ourselves Once again, when we release that hold, we don't just free us or free them, rather we free ourselves. In all truthfulness, when people say I can't forgive, what they really mean is I won't forgive. A European author tells about a man who borrowed some money and took two years to pay it back. The angry lender said to the man, no, just keep the money, it's not worth changing my opinion of you. I would, rather, I would rather be disappointed. I would rather live with your failure. I would rather live with the dark shadow of your uncertainty in my life than to release this. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's clear. It's a choice. It's an intentional, conscious decision. I, I've got to get over this. I've got to move on. Because every day that you camp out at the feet of failure, you'll be a welcome guest. Every day. Until the day you pull your own tent stakes up and say, I'm moving beyond this. The first person who gains from forgiveness is the person that does the forgiving. The benefit of, of offering forgiveness, when we, we hold a grudge, we become enslaved to our own animosity. And so, here is, I suppose, uh, a key point that we just can't skip past. Forgiveness, therefore, frees us and leads to emotional healing. And I don't want to get anybody to get uncomfortable here, but stay with me for just a moment. And we need that emotional healing whether there's reconciliation or not.
Because every situation cannot be reconciled. Sometimes death will prevent that. Other times, you know, we're subjected, we're subjected rather to other people's own will and their decisions, so you can't headlock someone into forgiving you and reconciling. And so some situations will never be reconciled. And this is not the fun part. But we nevertheless have to move on with our lives. And so when a person refuses to forgive, then we become imprisoned by those who hurt us. And so we have to realize that whether or not this can ever be fixed, literally fixed, over a cup of coffee and a little cafe, we can work all this out. Sometimes that's just not how it all plays out. Sometimes the damage were, was done in, maybe in, in childhood years or whatever the case may be. Maybe the, the damage is ir, ir, cannot be reconciled because we just can't get back to that place in time. But by forgiving, we let go of that resentment and we allow healing then to start flowing into our lives. The Hebrew word to forgive means to have hatred in one's fist and then release it. What an illustration. And so the first thing we do in forgiving is to surrender our right to get even. And we just put that in the hands of the Lord. Forgiveness stops that ongoing cycle of just repaying vengeance for vengeance. You shoot my cat, I'll shoot your dog. And after a while, all you have is a graveyard. That's all you have. It's just because it's just eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And if somehow people could find peace with God, when we find true peace with God, we are able then to find peace with one another. People who refuse to forgive have been, have been wounded, and if we're not careful, we keep reopening that wound. When we forgive, there's still a scar, but there's no pain. It's a reminder when I see it, a reminder when something comes up, but it's, Risky business when we play, pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I'm gonna ask our musicians to come, if you will. And so we have to ask God to forgive us in like manner, in like measure. But being unwilling to forgive is burning the bridge, the very bridge that we may one day need ourselves. And so a mark of true Christianity is not someone who can sing in perfect harmony, not someone who never claps off beat, not someone who's never late for church or not someone who never says no. A true mark of Christianity, of genuine faith, is the ability to extend forgiveness to those who need it. Hayden Robinson writes, those who live in the relief of God's pardon find it easier to forgive those who offend them. If we just live in the relief of God's pardon, don't forget that moment. Why? Because they have received mercy and so they want to extend that, somebody else to receive and experience that same thing. The Bible says at the Apostle John's writing, 1 John 1 and 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves 
and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Stamped, paid in full. Paid in full. Truthfully, as we stand, there's no one here without scars. Am I right? No one here without scars. We all have a past. We're desperately trying to outrun, put behind us. And we all need the forgiving hand of God to pull us up from the bondage and the mire of yesterday's wrong decision. And that's all the more reason why we need to stand ready to forgive. We all need forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. I hope you're not uncomfortable or even offended at this illustration, but I can tell you, and I think the men who, and and even some of our ladies who have worked, most especially in the jail ministry, you'd be surprised how little it takes to wind up there. You'd be really surprised. I know our minds are filled sometimes with movie images of convicts and they're there and they're real in some instances. But in the county jail where someone has not really been tried for their crime, they may just be accused of crime. You follow me? They may not be guilty at all. They've just been accused. And now, someone who last night was in a warm bed is in a holding cell. Granted, some are very comfortable there. They've been there many times, but I'm telling you, some have spent the first night there. They've they've never even been exposed to this side of life. Am I right, Brother Riley? He spends many, many Sundays a year and many others here. More than one of these men and women. We've stood with only the ability to reach our hands through the cell bars, literally, and pray for someone who was frightened out of their ever-loving mind. Because error had imprisoned them. A moment of indecision. (laughs) The literal bars make us all uncomfortable. I feel the tightness. But I'm telling you that many times our own indecisions imprison us. And we're looking around and we wondered. How did I even get here? I didn't see this coming. This was not what I intended. I feel the spirit of the Holy Ghost moving right here in this house. We don't need to too quickly pass through this. I don't even know how I got here. 
And I don't know what my future will be. But they lost their vote the moment the door closed. And if we're not careful spiritually, we can stand in that same place. And if you could just envision this with me tonight, we stand with our arms and our hands on the bar saying, I don't even know how I got here. And I don't know what tomorrow holds. <laughs> and I wonder if we, with that image in our mind, could approach the throne of God and say, tonight, <laughs> I just need your hand to move in my life. I need to be set free. I need to be set free. Would you just take a moment? Can we all just collectively take a moment? The altars of any church represent, of course, a place of surrender. And can we come tonight and just say, Lord, I need you. I, I really, 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 really need you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.